I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is a bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Now, as ever, let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello, hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Today I'm going to take you to meet James Volcard. And although we didn't physically meet, we were in the same show last year, which was Art in the Age of Now at Fulham Town Hall. His huge painting, which resonated with me the moment I saw it, will be a topic of the conversation in this podcast. James has got a show coming up, which is between the 23rd and the 28th of March at Asia House. It's called The World Waxed Green, and it's curated by friend of the podcast, MC Lannis. Now, I don't want to give anything away about this conversation, so I'll take you straight in. Please, come and join me over Zoom as I spoke to James Volcard quite fun doing it with sort of over a few drinks i think i did one with mc actually when i first got to know her eight nine years ago um, but anyway never never heard it so <laughs> probably not the, the best yeah she would probably blackmail you yeah, with yeah, in a few that. years time right well james i've got seven questions that i ask each artist the first being how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work um right yeah that's quite a, it's tricky because i 
I do so many different um, different sort of things. I sort of work as you know as a painter, which is pretty straightforward. Um, but also I've done collage and sculpture. And then you know when I have to describe you know the the collage, it sort of takes a bit of um, bit of time to explain that. So um, I suppose I'd probably just say I'm a painter, and then once I start to show people the work, then I sort of get into the detail. You get asked um, questions then. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, I suppose it's just exploring very lots of different um, mediums and narratives, and that's um, that's what's always sort of driven me on for, yeah. for the project. You yeah. say that you explore various mediums. I saw that one of your mediums was mastic. Is that builder's mastic? No. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure if I know what builder's mastic is, but maybe it's from the. I think mastic is actually it's a it's a um, a tree sap from uh, mastic. Okay which I think is related to a, a pistachio tree. Okay, uh, that, that shows my naivety of that of that um, medium, doesn't it? Well, I have, yeah, I don't know what a builder's mass is. It's what they put around windows, like a ceiling. Well, maybe maybe the word mass, it comes from, you know... The, yeah, the, yeah, because it it's a very pliable, um, it's like sort of like really thick treacle, you know? Yeah, well, it could be maybe traditionally it was yeah. used to put in windows. Um, would make sense, actually. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because when I, when I saw it, I thought, oh, I've never seen anyone using that medium in an oil painting before. And obviously not knowing the medium of mastic, um, yeah. yeah, just showed my naivety in the uh, oil paint world, doesn't it? Well, I think, um, yeah, it is, it's quite an unusual, uh, it is an unusual, it's sort of more traditional, because I had this sort of quite traditional training in Florence. And we were we were trained um, and we used these sort of mediums. Um, Canada Balsam was another one. It was a yeah. we'd mix it up and it was a way of kind of glazing into portraits uh, afterwards. Or, or and is, is mastic what gives you that texture that you've got in your paintings? I think some of it. Um, there's it's also I tend to sprinkle pigment, so I'll lay the the paintings flat on a workbench. Yeah, and sprinkle raw pigment in um, onto a, onto a, either an oil surface or or a sticky surface and then that kind of creates the texture as well as using palette knife and and then just glazing so it's a mixture of, of all of that but the the mastic i think it gives it a sort of slightly glossy um oh, yeah. texture um, yeah. so it, i mean essentially it's a varnish but it's sort of um it's a resin oh, well, okay um, you said you were traditionally trained in florence where where was that um, there was a, a school, a port, well, it's two schools. I was at a portrait sort of classical realism school called Charles Sasser Studios, which oh yeah, of course, yeah, sort of a little bit well known. And then a small sculpture school run by an, another American sculptor um, called Studio della Statua, which I'm not sure. You know, he pops up, um, does the odd course these days, travels the world. Um, um, but yeah, so those between those two schools. And how long was you there for? I did um, two and a half years um, at Charles Cecil and sort of half a year, year um, at the sculpture. And then I went back, you know, following for two summers once just to, you know, rent a studio and worked on a project for a cathedral in Kenya, um, oh, wow. being mentored by my old sculptor teacher. And then the other one I was sort of teaching um, and enjoying myself. Oh, uh, yeah, it sounds good. Was it good to go back and teach somewhere that you've studied? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a really good part of the training as well to teach. So you start to sort of, you know, you're critiquing and critiquing and also essentially sort of thinking out loud. So when it comes, when you come back to working on your own paintings or drawings, um, there's a bit more clarity. Um, um, so it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's a very sort of 
good way of um, of developing. I think as as an artist. I agree. There's there's many an artist that I speak to on here that once they've done their training, they you know the university they're studying, and then they go into the studio. That's the one thing they miss is the other artists being around them. And sometimes if if the artist studio is in a communal studio, if you like, some of them do set up crit sessions there just to keep keep the hand in because you know having someone else's eyes on your work is is quite critical you know absolutely yeah i think having a dialogue is is really important i think that's the you know the, the sort of curse of an, sort of an artist being isolated and then yeah. the, you know the procrastination which can be a part of the creative process but can also be you know it kind of creates that guilt um, yeah uh, and then it can be a downward spiral um but yeah i think it's Certainly, I struggled with that with that after coming from a studio where you're sort of surrounded by thirty students to suddenly being alone, um, also in a big city, which is sort of new and um, quite daunting. Yeah, mm. mind you, saying that once, um, but once your studio doors shut, you could be in the middle of a city or or up a yeah. tree. It doesn't make any difference. It's when when you open your door, and then that's when you feel either sort of overwhelmed by your environment or or all alone in it, isn't it? You know. Yeah. yeah. When was your first interest in art, James? Uh, I mean, as, as far as I can remember, really, um, painting as, you know, as a young boy for fun. Uh, then throughout school, it was often sort of, you know, the free time I was always in the art department. Um, uh, and yeah, and then even the university, I studied art history, but still was painting on the side. So it's just been, it's always been there and as a sort of constant hobby. Yeah, were your parents into art at all? My father's, oh, he was an architect, so quite uh, very creative. And his mother was a professional artist. Nice. Um, my mum is actually now going to art school. Um, she goes to a couple of places. Oh, brilliant. And sort of, yeah, taking it up in the, in the last sort of few years, um, which has been kind of, yeah. And I know of, this is about you, but what, what is it your mum's um, looking at? Uh, she, I think it's more of just a sort of retirement sort of hobby, but she's nice. doing kind of a figurative painting and um, uh, a bit of landscape. Yeah, just to keep oh, it perfect. There. What a way to retire, eh? Yeah. And when when was it you realised that you wanted to be an artist? Uh, I think it was. I think it was actually the, probably the question more like when was I deciding maybe I shouldn't be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's yeah. I, I yeah. remember sort of getting towards it sort of aged eighteen, thinking you know. Should you know? Do I go to art school? Do I study history of art? You know, um, um, is you know, is, is this going to be quite a difficult sort of career to take? Um, and there probably were several moments. I think then and then, even even while I was at in Florence, uh, I think there was a moment where I sort of had dinner with my teacher, and he sort of you know sort of said to me, you know, it's, it's not an easy route to take. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 always been the attractions have always been there, and just. You know, the, I suppose the perks of being an artist is, you know, the freedom to kind of, you know, travel, but also just explore different narratives. And I think that that's always been an attraction. But yeah, it's, it's always been it's always been there. Sort of that sort of. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's sort of your passion um, and commitment to, to being an artist. Well, that is that is the problem um, with a lot of artists. Exactly there what you said. People are constantly telling you the negative sides of it. And rather than give yourself a long-term goal, you might say, well, I'll do it for a year and see how it goes. And, you know, you're sort of almost giving yourself a, 
uh, an end in sight, aren't you, rather than in the distance, you know? Mm. Yeah, I know I've, I've done that myself when I give up work to be an artist. I said, said exactly the same thing. Um, we was in uh, the Fulham Town Hall together, the Fulham That's Town right, Hall yeah. show. Um, very, it was quite overwhelming when you walked past it. Could you explain the painting I'm talking about, please? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good um, continuation from what we were just talking about, because essentially it is, it's a painting of me walking around almost like a time-lapse in my studio in yeah. Brown's Court. Um, was that your studio? Yeah, I mean, I've made it wow. slightly larger, so it's a bit more church-like. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Uh, and it's, it's, the composition is taken from an illustration by Gustave de Ray, who is um, a sculptor and printmaker who illustrated Dante's Inferno. And um, the illustration is of prisoners walking around in a prison yard. Um, and so I sort of, it, it, it kind of resonated with me and I thought that it would kind of, um, of kind of being in that sort of anxious state of uh, being in a creative block, you know, yeah. physically, but also walking around, walking around circles, but mentally your mind kind of going in circles. Um, and then obviously, I, I, soon after actually starting it, I realised that Van Gogh had also done a version of it with himself as one of the prisoners. And also Stanley Kubrick uses that composition in A Clockwork Orange as well. Yeah. Been sort of used a few, quite a few times by artists, I'm sure. Well, it was, it was Van Gogh that sprung to mind um, his Prisoner's Round when I saw it. And yeah. um, obviously, that, you know, he, he took that from the same place. But where it was placed first in um, uh, the Fulham Town Hall, it was, it was placed in a, in a very high but very narrow more or less corridor, wasn't it, you know? That's right, and yeah. You could stand maybe, what would you say, eight feet from wall to wall to look up at... I mean, how big was it? It was probably six by ten, possibly? Yes, but I think, I, from what I remember, two, 240 by 240 centimetres, so that's, yeah, maybe seven by eight. Yeah, it was, um, yeah it, was, it was very big to be in a small space, but, but that small space, although the image you was looking at was you walking around in a as you say, like a, a very spacious church-like studio, when you're right in front of it like that, it does feel quite claustrophobic. It feels like you're in the room with you, you know? And even where it ended up being shown, it was in a bigger space, a more roomy space, but because it was so close, it still gave you that impression that, that you was within the painting, you know? Yeah, well, when I was painting it, uh, initially the figures um, were were sort of full length so uh, so I was sort of my portraits were much smaller at the front and it was it was a bit static um and so I I'd sort of started to paint the portrait sort of as I was going around the circle and then realized that it just wasn't working so I brought the figures right you know much further forward so yeah. essentially the, and, and it's a, it does look like I'm sort of coming out of the painting or very close to the surface of the it did give the impression that you was outside just peering in in through a window or through a, through a void, you know. Um, was you yeah. at the show itself? Yes, yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I was. Went well, obviously, in the build-up was there quite a few times, and then yeah, went went along regularly. I think. Did you, um, did you request for it to be moved from one space to the other? I I didn't actually. That was uh, Ben, the creator. Um, he he moved it, um, and I was yeah. I I mean, I was kind of it, when it was in the corridor. It was. You know, you, you could stand back and sort of see it getting closer, but it was quite a dark space. Yeah. Um, and then it, when it was in the second space, it, it you know, it, it still worked, but it was a bit more curated, didn't it? Yeah. It, it wasn't in that room. Um, 
but that's the first time I've actually exhibited that piece. Um, it's been sort of sat in my studio for yeah, and I've sort of shared it on social media, and it's um, had you know people have responded um, to it in quite a sort of interesting way, but it's never been on show. Um, but now it's rolled up again in the studio. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's put back away. Yeah. Which piece that you've created, James, has got the strongest emotional connection? Do you think? Um, I mean, that one's definitely got a very strong connection. It's sort of very personal yeah. um, painting. I, I didn't paint it to sell it. It was a, it was a project that I wanted to do. It also sort of happened soon after losing my brother. So it was, oh, I already okay. had the idea to do the painting and then my brother passed away and then I painted it. So I think there was a lot of emotions going into it. Um, but then I think also landscape, I grew up in Africa and- um, Whereabouts? So in Kenya. Yeah. Uh, and so landscapes always been the sort of the medium that I sort of return to uh, and I so there's you know quite a lot of my landscapes where there's a lot of sort of quite sort of powerful lights and sort of um, um, African landscape and sort of you know you get a sense of, sort of, of the power from so I, I you know there's one which is of uh, Mount Shompole, which is on the border of Kenya and Tanzania. That's sort of quite a, um, a favourite of mine. Um, but then, yeah, even some of the Londonscapes I've done when I was um, first moved to London, a bit more sort of abstract. Um, yeah. Which I like. But yeah, I think landscape is, there's many landscapes which I really like and I do feel um, I sort of, it's a, sort of a natural sort of, the, my creativity really pours out into those yeah. rather than perhaps you know, some of the more experimental pieces like the collages, which is a bit more sort of technical, yeah. commercial. You said about uh, when you moved to London doing abstract landscapes, were they landscapes of the greener spaces or were they cityscapes? Well, they were more cityscapes, cityscapes yeah. yeah. So I was sort of painting them in portrait with you know, vast um, kind of glass walls. And, and I think I did one of Brompton Road of Harrods um, and around the city of London, of like the Lloyds building, et cetera. And I, yeah, I really enjoy doing them because it's, again, you're playing with different texture and lights, um, uh, which I hadn't really had a chance to do before. It had always been sort of more traditional landscapes of being sort of flat and, you know, a distant horizon. Um, these ones were more, you know, a, a, a chance to try out a different technique and a different um, sort of visual aesthetic. Yeah. Well, you've got a show coming up at the end of March, um, which is at the... Well, you you tell us where it is in the, in the title, it, if you would. It's, uh, yeah, it's on from the 23rd till the 28th of March. Um, and it's at Asia House, which is on nice. New Cavendish Street. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a series of, of landscapes again, but uh, but again, sort of returning to something different. It's sort of looking at more at forestscapes. Um, so rather than traditionally looking at, you know, a horizon or maybe a street scene, these are... Um, sort of close-up sort of foliage um but when I designed them I was looking sort of trying to get this feeling of depth by looking through the gaps in between plants and foliage. yeah yeah um, so I was kind of focusing on the negative spaces when I um, designed the paintings which is a sort of a, a, there's a sort of Japanese um a, like philosophical aesthetic called ma uh, which basically translates yeah. as negative space so I was very sort of um, conscious of of the negative space between the between plants and trees. Um, well, well, the the positive space when you're looking through the plants is so close. It's it's sometimes invisible, isn't it? You know, you, you are looking through in the distance, the negative space. Yeah, I think it's actually a natural um, 
sort of human sort of reaction is actually to kind of try and find the horizon when yeah you, yeah um so so if you sort of create the focus of something to you know you know for, for example the first leaf you see without sort of actually getting you know the gaps between it then i think it, it kind of creates a flat surface yeah so, um and the the landscapes are they british landscapes they're um they're a mixture of kenya again and singapore which is where my brother lives with his family and i was nice. visiting, visiting them before the pandemic um and so it's a mixture it's sort of half half of the sort of singaporean landscape um or forestscapes around around the botanical gardens and um wow Kreechi reservoir which is in the center of the island uh and i sort of you know took took photos and did a few sketches and then worked uh, kind of during yeah over the last 18 months um we've been building up the collection would one be able to notice that they're non-british um forest scapes uh i think so just because of the um well perhaps because of the colors just the sort of shape of the foliage um yeah. one of them actually is um is a landscape i did on ashdown forest which was supposed to be a sort of bluebell type um for you know sort of spring forestscape and actually i've kind of uh, i've exaggerated the colors and made it sort of so they're a bit more sort of luminous and so it actually looks more tropical yeah um, and that's <laughs> about these paintings although they are they do kind of represent something they are they're quite improvised so i yeah tend to work a little bit from the drawings and photos initially and then just put those aside and then it's, it's improvised and um um yeah, just experimenting a bit. And these are, these are all oil paintings, I presume? They're all oil paintings. Um, again, playing around with different mediums. So again, the mastic and the Canada balsam kind of tie into some, some of the paintings a lot more than others. I think one or two of the paintings are not painted with linseed oil at all. It's just these sort of glazes. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and yeah, you can see that when you see them up close, you can see the different surfaces, um, which is sort of kind of interesting, I think. And how many how many paintings have you got in the show? Um, it's about it's a mixture of about twenty paintings, which I'd call rep, more representational paintings, and then there's a uh, about another twenty or thirty abstract studies. So I was sort of playing around with smaller studies just to see how the paint um, um, reacted. You know, when I was sprinkling pigments and using the different mediums, uh, and I'm going to use those frame those studies as well and essentially uh, we're going to curate it and marry mc is going to curate it um and we're going to sort of create it as an installation so nice. we'll, we'll be kind of accompanied by all these abstract studies and so it'll feel like you're sort of really surrounded by nature when you walk into the room yeah well when mc curates an exhibition she does um pretty much put her stamp on it doesn't she yeah yeah absolutely, yeah yeah, yeah. Great to work with. and how long how long have you known mc i mean you, you mentioned MC at the start of this, um, yeah. having a having a, a drunken night recalled in a conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, we I think we we first met in Florence. She was out doing a July course, summer course, um, and I think I was. This is when I was working, was renting a studio, but I was planning to move back to London in August. Um, and then when I got back to London, she she you know was around the, living around the corner from me. She sort of introduced me to few people to Ben Moore and sort of worked on the Art Below, Art Below projects a bit. Um, so yeah, that was about nine, nine years ago, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, cool. Um, there's another little question that I ask. And it is, if, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, 
what would your ideal group show be? Uh, I think at the moment I sort of I'm getting much more interested in sort of abstract um, and so I, and I think the scene you know the sort of abstract movement in America really interests me um, uh, so partly because of the paintings but also I think you know what went on you know be, be, you know in the studios and um, so sort of maybe like someone like Rosenberg um, uh, Pollock would yeah. be in there but then but then again like I've you know I do these sort of collages as well and that's going a bit more kind of poppy so um Warhol has definitely been someone who's been sort of popping up on my radar again and again recently um so yeah and I think I think Picasso would have to be there as well um and hang on is that probably a couple more I don't know again maybe perhaps someone someone like um uh uh, Turner or something because as again I think my yeah. paintings are you know have been described as Turner-esque um yeah I can see that I, I yeah I would be very interested to have to, you know to have him and the, the dinner party yeah <laughs> it'd make it well that that'd all make for a for a good evening that's for sure yeah. and and what would you fancy doing if you wasn't an artist do you think um I mean when I was debating whether whether it was a sort of sensible career to take. I think I, I, I mean, I'm studying art history, so I would have thought maybe I would have worked for an auction house or a gallery. Yeah. Um, but then also growing up in Kenya, conservation's been sort of a, a, an interest of me, for, for me and my family. I sort of been growing up sort of um, going to, um, going on safaris and, you know, very lucky to live on this beautiful small farm just on the outskirts of Nairobi. Um, and we yeah. have we have a sort of uh, an initiative there where we're sort of encouraging trees to be planted, and um, so I think yeah, it would be so many of my friends have stayed in Kenya and work in on conservation projects and conservancies. So oh, nice. I think that probably would have been the other option. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you can just give us again the the dates of your show, which is called World Waxed Green. Yeah, the World Waxed Green. It was a bit of an afterthought. Um, I was sort of looking up the symbolism of green and Osiris is an Egyptian mythological um, god. Uh, and in my book of symbols, it sort of said uh, the world, it said that the world waxed green through him. Nice. And I sort of just lifted that off. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the world waxed green is, um, starts on the 23rd of March uh, to the 28th of March, um, 2022. If anyone wants to see your work, be it social media, or website, where can they see your work? I'm on Instagram at James Volcard and the website's jamesvolcard.com. And um, yeah, my contact details are there if anyone wants to do a studio visit um, or get in touch about invites for the exhibition. And um, where is your studio if they do? It's in Barron's Court. Um, Barron's Court nice. is actually very lucky to be in an, in an old sort of Victorian neoclassical studio on the A4, as you're going in or out of London, just before the Hammersmith flyover. And there's eight um, kind of old portrait artist studios. Um, and I'm very, very lucky to be in one of those. Wow, nice. I know yeah, exactly the ones. Yeah. Yeah. They are stunning. Yeah, they really are. And the um, the portrait of me walking around in circles, you can sort of see kind of the, the window. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, is that the studio it was painted? from exactly yeah yeah so i've never been in the studios but from outside yeah i can i can well, see well, that come, now come and visit i'd love to show you brilliant good stuff james that's all my questions asked i think well thanks yeah. for your time 
And Thank then, you. Yeah, hopefully see you again soon at the Pride View. Yeah, seriously, show. if you want to come to the um, the studio, if you're free, I could happy to show you. It'd be great. I, I'll take you up on that. Okay. So uh, yeah, I've always wanted to have a have a nose around them. James, thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot, Gary. Speak All the best, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you've got an exhibition or any other creative project within the arts, or even just want to promote your own artwork, you could do that in podcast form similar to the one you've just listened to. They start at a convenient price point that is comfortable for any artist working on a budget. This podcast itself is created by working artists and we know how important that is. So to find out more information, you can email us on ministryofartsorg at gmail.com or on Instagram at ministryofartsorg. Ta-da! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.